This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com Rav Yitzchak Pasach Medrash Eicha Pesichta Perik Yud Rav Yitzchak opened up with a, with a verse from Yeshaya V'loi Oisi Karasa Yaakov And Yaakov did not call me because Klai Yisrael rebelled against me. <clears throat> Says the Medrash the following. There were 365 houses of Avodah in Damascus, Syria. 365 Different houses of Avodah Zarah. Every day of the year, they would go to a house of Avodah Zarah. Each one was a different Avodah Zarah. 365 different channels. Satellite Avodah Zarah. 365. Every single day, they would watch a different show. They would go to a different Avodah Zarah. Never two days in a row would they go to the same Avodah Zarah. Each one had one day. And that day, everybody went to that Avoy Dezara. And the Jews also made these Avoy Dezaras. They became partners with the Goyim in their Avoy Dezara. And they served them. As we know in Pasha Shreftim, it says, And the Jews continued to do bad in the eyes of Hashem. The Pasha Shreftim says that the Jews served many different Avay Dezaras, Ba'alim, Ashtarais, Aram, Sidon, the Kaimawal, the Kne Be'amain, the Kle Pishtim. It wasn't that we went and we served one Avay Dezara, but we served many, many, many different Avay Dezaras. Thank you. Amar Rav Yaisi Rav Chanina. Rav Yaisi in the name of Rav Chanina said, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu said on this, that the Jews were partners every single day in a different Avodah Zarah, every single day a different show, a different movie. Hashem said, Halavai, Asu Aisi Banai Kigarzimi. Hashem said, Halavai, that the Jews would have made me just as a dessert. Garzimi is a dessert. Hashem said, I understand, and I could forgive the Jewish nation for not making me the main dish, for not making me the appetizer or the soup, but not even dessert, not even after they've eaten from all the Goyim and enjoyed all the Goyim things. Nothing for me, says the Medrash. It's a parable of a servant of a king, Shasa Suda. He made a party. 
The Hizmin called Ben Eknei and he invited everyone. Ulay Hizmin Rabbi, but he didn't invite the king. Omar Hamelech, the king said, "Halavai Hishva Aisi Avdi Livnekni Yisav." Halavai, he would have considered me as a servant for all his friends. At least then I would have been invited to his party. Kachomar Hakadosh Baruch so says Hashem, "Halavai Hishvu Aisi Banai." I wish that my daughters and my sons would at least think of me kigarzimi like a dessert. Shehiba that comes at the end of the meal. Ella but I am not invited to your parties. I am not one of your avoidazaras. You don't even give me one day of the three hundred and sixty five days of the year. As we know in the story of Eliyahu Navi, when he fought the Nevi'e Habal, and Eliyahu Navi said that there is a Hakadosh Baruch Hu in the world, and I am a Navi Tzedek, and the Nevi'e Habal said, "No, you're a Navi Sheker. You're a lie. We're the truth. Baal, the Avodah Baal. That's the truth." So they made a deal. Yahweh said, fine. You'll bring a sacrifice on your Mizbeach to Baal. And I'll bring a sacrifice on my Mizbeach to Hashem. We won't put any fire on the wood. If the fire comes out of heaven onto the Mizbeach of Baal, that means that you're right. That there is no God. But the God of the world, his name is Baal. If the fire comes on my Mizbeach, then we all know that Hashem Echad Ushma Echad. What did the Nevi'e Habal do? They took a person, they built the Mizbeach, they put this person into the Mizbeach with fire, with wood, and they said that when we scream the name of Baal, from underneath the Mizbeach, light the fire. And it'll burn through and there'll be a fire on the animal, and all the Jews will think that Baal is the true God. Eliyahu Navi built the Mizbeach on one side, and the Nevi'e Abal built the Mizbeach on the other side. It was a setup. They had their man inside the Mizbeach, ready to go. And Eliyahu Navi went ahead and he took water, and he poured it on all the wood that was underneath his carbon. And he said to Klai Yisrael, you will see that Hashem Echad Echad. And if we look in the Navi in Malachim Aleph, Pasuk Yudches through Pasuk Chavvav, Vayikru b'shem habal mehaboyke v'yad hatzorayim. And the Jews were screaming in the name of Baal from the morning until the evening. And they were screaming, Habal e'neinu! Avaydizor Baal, answer us! The ain't called the ain't oyneh, but there was no answer. What happened is Hashem made a miracle and a snake crawled under the Mizbeach and bit this Navi Habal that was underneath the Mizbeach and killed him. And their whole trick did not work. So a whole day they were screaming for this guy to light the Mizbeach and he was dead. <coughs> At the end of the day before the sun set, Eliyahu Navi got up and said, Hashem, show Klal Yisrael 
that you are Hashem Echad Ushmo Echad, and whoever learned Malachim knows that a fire came out of Shemayim and burnt all the wood that was soaking wet and the carbon. And Klai Yisrael saw that Hashem Echad Ushmo Echad. Said the Medrash Rabbah, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, Why can't Klai Yisrael scream a whole day for me like they scream for Baal? Shem understands that we all have a life. He understands that it's hard to live in this world today and that we all have avodazaras. And I'm going to finish what I started last night. We spoke about last night that that everyone has to sit on Tisha B'Av and think about their base HaMikdash, their soul, that God gave us the soul made out of fire that was pure when we got it as a child. That we ourselves, our Titus, our Russia, and Nebuchadnezzar, we ourselves are breaking the walls and burning down our own base Hamigdash by the deeds that we do. And on Tishabov is a time to think about rebuilding the base Hamigdash. What can I do this year to rebuild my base Hamigdash brick by brick? In the Beis Hamikdash, there was something called the Kalim, the Menorah, the Shulchan, the Or HaKodesh, the Mizbeach HaChitzon, and the Mizbeach HaPnimi. The Arizal says that every single person is a Beis Hamikdash, and he has an Aron HaKodesh, and he has a Menorah, he has a Shulchan, and he has Mizbechim. Those things were also destroyed when the Beis Hamidish was destroyed. Nebuchadnezzar took these things to Rome, the menorah, and other articles. It's supposedly hidden. Some people have, there's stories that people have seen it, that it's hidden in the Vatican. In the catacombs of the Vatican is the parochas and the menorah from the second Beis Hamidish and other items. But all these things were taken. What is the shulchan and every person's neshama? The shulchan represents the food. The shulchan represents the panasa, the money in a person's life. On the shulchan was the lechem hapanim. The lechem hapanim was bread that was baked and stayed warm and stayed hot the whole week without an oven. Without anything to heat it up. It was baked from one Friday to the following Friday. When the Kehanim took it off the Shulchan the following Friday, it was hot. It was fresh. It was a miracle. The Shulchan represents a person's panasa. That if a person makes a living honestly and correctly, he doesn't have anything to worry about. His panasa will never get stale. Hashem will give it unbelievable, unbelievable siyata deshmaya. That from one week to the other, from one Shabbos to the other, sheishes yamim tavoid v'asistem lachtecha, v'yom hashvi, Shabbos Hashem. On the seventh day, it's Shabbos alekecha. And therefore, a person has to be very careful with the shulchan in his base hamigdash. A time where 
money means so much. It's so important. And women think they don't have a big shaykhis to this. What do you want from me? It's my husband that makes the panasa. Sometimes. But women have to know that when your husband comes home and he says, I don't know if this is the right thing, or we can make a lot of money, she has to be the one to tell him it's the wrong thing. It's a shulchan. It's our shulchan and our base hamigdash. We have to make sure that it's pure. If she tells her husband, I need money and I need this and I need that and I need this and I don't care how you make it. It's not my business how you make it, but you better bring it home. She's going to pay a heavy price for losing the shulchan in her Beis HaMikdash. A woman has a very big place on if her husband is honest. And if you don't know what he's doing, then make it your business to find out what he's doing. And tell him it's not so important that we have a beautiful house and a beautiful car. It's more important that we have a beautiful Beis HaMikdash. Don't have to tell you what happened. We all know where Hashem is showing us that Using money incorrectly can cause the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash. Chilul Hashem is the chilul of the Beis Hamikdash. Chas v'shalom. That was the Shulchan. In the Kaidesh Kedoshim, in the Holy of Holies, stood the Arain. In the Arain were two sets of luchos. The first luchos that were broken. And the second luchos that were not. And the rabbis ask, why are the broken luchos in the Aran HaKodesh? I understand that the second set of luchos are in the Aran HaKodesh. But the broken luchos in the Kodesh Kedashim, we should have hid them. The broken luchos remind Hashem of the terrible Avera that we did with the Egel. And Chazal say a very beautiful thing. To God, broken luchos are as valuable as whole luchos. A Jew that has sinned, a Jew that is broken, a Jew that has served the Egel to Hashem, he's still in the Kodesh Kedosh. Don't take my broken luchos out of the Holy of Holies, said Hashem. Every Jew is in the Holy of Holies. Whether you're the Gadol Hadar, you're the perfect luchos, or you're a broken set of luchos. To Hashem, we're all the same. The luchos represents the learning of Torah in a person's private and personal base hamigdash. The woman has a very big place in her husband's learning of Torah. You gotta push it. You gotta show him it's important to you. I want a husband that knows how to learn. I want a husband that goes every day for an hour at least and goes to a shear. I want to know what you learned. I want to know what the rabbi said. I want to sit, sit at a Shabbos table. I want my husband to say it's about Torah. It makes me proud. Every man. Wants to be, wants his wife to be proud of him. All of us, all men. 
But for some reason, men think that the only way I'm going to make my wife proud is if I bring home a huge paycheck. And whose fault is that? It's your fault. If you told him it's not important how much money you bring home, but bring me home a good Dvar Torah, then that's what's going to be important to him. Not everyone's looking for a learning boy. But everybody better be looking for a boy who's learning. Some boys learn a whole day. It's one way of life. It's a good way of life. Some people have to go to work. It's a different way of life. It's a good way of life. But because somebody's going to work and a girl tells me, well, I'm not looking for a learning boy. I'm like, of course you are. He may not learn all day, but he has to go every day. When a man comes up to the next world, they ask him three questions. First question is, did you make your livelihood honestly? Second question is, did you Did you set aside time for learning? Third question is, were you waiting for Mashiach? What do they ask a woman? What do they ask a woman? Did you make your panasa honestly? I didn't work, I, I was home, I took care of my kids. They ask a woman, did you make sure your husband made his panasa honestly? And Chazal asks, why do they ask that question first? The first question should be, Kaveya Itam Atara, Tamatara Kinegakulam. Tara is more important than anything. Why are you asking if I made my money honestly? First question should be, did you learn every day? So Chazal say that if the person answers that I didn't make my money honestly, they don't even ask him the next two questions. They're not interested if you learn Torah if you're a Ghanaf. They're not interested if you're waiting for Mashiach if you're a Ghanaf. They're not interested in asking those questions. So the first question is the Bein Adam Lechavero. The first question is were you honest? If you borrowed money, did you pay it back? If you gave someone your word, did you keep it? So what do they ask a woman? They ask a woman, did you make sure that your husband was honest in business? And the second question they ask a woman is, did you make sure your husband was Kaveya Itim Torah set aside every day for himself to learn Torah? And you didn't interfere. It was your anniversary. And it's Chabrusa was every night at 9 o'clock. Tonight you have to miss it. You have to tell my Chabrusa that it's our anniversary. And we have to go here. And we have to go there. And there's a sale. And if I don't go now, we're busted. So they're going to say, Kavei Itam Latayra, did you make sure that no matter what, you never disturbed his set time for learning? It was Kadosh, no phone calls, no interruptions. Did you make sure that your husband had that time? And the answer better be yes. And the third question, did you bring up a house that was waiting for Mashiach? Or did you say, listen, we just built this house, it's gorgeous. Mashiach, wait two years, three years, let me live in it. I just finished college, I broke my head. I just became a doctor. Six years, eight years, I killed myself. I just got into private practice. Now you're going to bring Mashiach? Give me a couple of years. They're going to want to know, were you ready for Mashiach now with your beautiful house and your beautiful car? And you're not going to have such a beautiful house in Eretz Yisrael. doesn't say anywhere when Mashiach comes, you're going to take your house from Flatbush and fly it to Israel. They say, you're based on Knesset. Your yeshiva and your shul, they're going to fly to Eretz Yisrael. Is everyone in this room ready to give up their houses? Their cars? Their bank accounts? 
Is everyone ready to give that up for Mashiach? That's what Hashem wants to know. Are you ready to build the base on Migdash and give up everything that you have here? I mentioned last night, that was a little bit of a joke. Some people thought it was funny with the sushi. I happen to like it also, but it's not a joke. We're very much into what the Goyim do. I'll tell you something very interesting. And, and if I'm wrong, I'm talking to myself. I'm not talking to anybody else. We're Americans. We have American passports. You come to Israel, you get off El Al, and you come to passport control. And there's two lines. And there's big signs. And it says, Israeli citizens and visitors. And all of us Americans come to Eretz Yisrael and walk through a line that says, you're a visitor. You're a Jew and you walk through with your American passport all happy and proud. I don't have an Israeli passport. I'm an American. I'm a visitor. Excuse me. Do you have by any chance, um, the lady looks at your name, any relatives that live here in Israel? No. No. No, no close relatives. You have an apartment here? Yeah, my father has an apartment. Oh, Abba. His father... Do you have two passports? Do you have an Israeli passport also? Chas v'shalom. Chas v'shalom. I only have an American passport. Because I'm a visitor. We're a visitor in Eretz Yisrael, but we're screaming, we want Mashiach! I'm an American! Now you come back to this gullus. You come back to this filthy, schmutzedicker country. And there's two lines. And you're so happy you got off El Al. And you look at the two lines. And all the Israelis go to the sign that says, Foreigners. And you're like, Ha! They're going to be online forever. They're foreigners. Me? U.S. citizens only. Baruch Hashem, you're so proud. You walk up to that customs agent. Slide it through. I'm not a Jew. I'm not a Jew. Doesn't say in the passport Jew. I'm an American. Have a nice day. How the Yankees doing? I'm an American. Who says, make me the dessert? You're a Jew. Even if it's not the most important thing in your life, don't be happy when you see it says U.S. citizen. Walk into this country and think, I'm a foreigner. I'm in Golos. I'm not a citizen. A Jew can't be a citizen until Mashiach comes. I'm not a citizen of anything. I'm a foreigner in America and I'm a citizen in Eretz Yisrael. And we have it just the opposite way around. 
But we all know the song, we want Mashiach now. Do you really want Mashiach now? Do you feel like a foreigner when you show your passport? In Eretz Yisrael, you feel like a foreigner. Yeah, the Israelis have something way above us. They come to America and they know they're, they're different. They know they're a foreigner. They got to answer all kinds of questions. Why are you here? Why'd you come to America? What are you doing here? How long are you staying here? So at least the Israeli, when he comes to America, he feels, I don't belong here. They're asking me all these questions. You don't belong here. Why are you here? Show me why you're here. Prove to me why you're here. They feel different. And ask any Israeli when they get back to Eretz Yisrael, no matter why they came to America, they hear that if writ, they're back in Eretz Yisrael, they're on the line that says Israeli citizens, no matter how or what reason they ran away from Eretz Yisrael, when they get back there, it's Baruch Hashem. And we, we don't have to tell anyone why we're here. They don't ask us no questions. You're one of us. You belong. The Beis HaMikdash was a separate edifice. It was a separate edifice. There was a din of Shchutei Chutz. That you couldn't bring a carbon outside of the Beis HaMikdash. If you did, you were Chayim Misa. Klai Yisrael had a base HaMikdash that separated us from everybody else. We don't have that anymore, women. We don't have that anymore. The only thing that separates us from everyone else is us. Is our tzniyos. Is the way we talk and the way we dress and the way we act. And the world is looking at us. Everyone's angry at the press. Oh my goodness, look what they're doing to the Jews. Every time someone does a little bit wrong... We're on the headlines. Do you know why? Everyone's, oh, anti-Semites. Oh, they hate us. I don't agree. I don't agree that that's the reason we're on the headlines. Just the opposite. They're in shock. They're in shock. They expect so much more from us. They're in total shock. They look up to the Jews because the Jew is a reflection of Hashem. And they expect us to be different. And when we're not different, they're in shock. And they're happy. Because they don't have to live up anymore to this reflection of God. Because if you take the reflection of God down, then even if I believe in God, I don't. this is the chosen nation. If this is the chosen nation, then the nation that isn't chosen, I definitely don't have to be there. It's not anti-Semitism. It's absolute shock. And when a Jewish girl is not dressed sneistic, and she goes to college, and the Muslims in her class are looking at her, and that she, they know she's a Jewish girl, and she's wearing a short skirt. It's not anti-Semitism. It's shock. Yishmael thinks, whether they hate us or not, they think we're holy. With the children of Avram, they're in shock. They don't understand. We're busy trying to be like the Goyim when the Goyim don't want us to be like them. They want an example. Hashem says, make me there, I deserve one day a year. Set an example. I know of a story of a brilliant young man 
who was in Harvard Law. He scored points on everything he took his test. He was like the third in the United States. A very brilliant Jewish boy. When he finished school, one of his professors told him that he knows of a huge firm in Boston that's looking for a junior partner. And he could give a good word. He has never, the professor said, I never met a boy like you. You're so brilliant. I'm going to tell them to give you an interview. Fine. They set up the interview. This Jewish boy is going to the interview. And he's on his way up. I don't remember the name was Schultz and something, Schmidt and some other name. A real non-Jewish, waspy names. And he realized that, he, you know, this, this partnership that he's going into, this big firm, is not Jewish. And on his way up in the elevator, he's fighting with himself. Should I wear my yarmulke or shouldn't I wear my yarmulke? And he doesn't know what to do. And he's like, there's no way they're going to hire in Boston, in a waspy law firm, a Jew with a yarmulke. So, but, non-Jews don't take off their crosses when they get a job. Go to any kosher restaurant, or any fruit store in Flatbush, or sometimes your own maids at home, they're wearing their big fat crosses right in your face, in the kosher restaurant, in the kosher store. God forbid that any Jewish person would tell them, excuse me, put that away. Chas v'shalom. We would never do such a thing. Even your maid, in front of your children, she's wearing her cross. It's not nice. But we're always worried about, someone's going to know I'm a Jew, put my yarmulke in my pocket. Or you go to a Yankee game and you have all the Jewish guys that got beers and payers and they're wearing a Yankee cap. No one should know they're Jewish. <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing? Why don't they have to put away their crosses? They don't feel like they have to put away their crosses. Or go to Atlantic Avenue and all the Muslims are walking around in their long dress. The men, right? With those, those, those and, and, and the, and the, the Pakistanis. They wear that head thing in America, no problem. They're very proud of what they are. Dressed totally different. I think I'm in the Middle East. Go on, on, on Coney Island Avenue and Avenue C on a Friday. Looks like you're in the middle of the Middle East. Are they all dressed and they change their clothing when they go into the mosque? They're all wearing whatever that's called, kaftan, kaftan, whatever it is. They're all wearing it. No one's embarrassed. Oh, I've got to worry about going to a law firm with my Yamakon. You know why? Says Hashem, cries God. Because I don't even get a day. I'm not even dessert. I'm not even your Avay Dezorah. So the last second before he walks into the, to the big room, the boardroom, he takes his yarmulke. And this happens to be, he says, he goes to yeshivas and he tells this story. He took his yarmulke and he stuffed it in his pocket. It's an interview... Svardim have a minute, they don't always wear their yarmulkes, they wear it when they eat, it comes from Syria, they rabbanim allow it, it's a minute, whatever it is, halachically fine, I'm not really a Svardi, but I could become a Svardi, so I'll leave the yarmulke in my pocket, when I come out, I'll become a Svardi, I don't know what went through this boy's head, but he came up with some kind of excuse for panasa, for panasa, you could do anything, so for panasa, I can put my yarmulke in my pocket, and he walks in. 
sitting at the table are the three senior partners. Pretty scary. Huge boardroom. This Jewish kid sits down. He's got his notebook, his books with him. Hands in the resume. They read through the resume. They look at all his marks. The guy sitting in the middle, really waspy looking guy, says, very impressive. We've never seen these kind of marks. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So, said, this, I, school, yeah, my parents. So, you know, we see that you went to a yeshiva high school. It's on his resume. He's like, uh-oh, here it goes. We like that. We like that. We like Jewish values. We like that. But I'm wondering, where's your skull cat? He said, um, well, um, I have it. It's with me. It's in my pocket. Why is it in your pocket? Put it on your head. It's your religion. Why would you put it in your pocket? Well, I, I didn't really know how you guys would take to this. I wasn't sure, you know, if... Uh, it would affect my job. Put it on your head. If you're a Jew, put it on your head and be proud of it. Oh, thank you. We can't give you the job. You're not for our law firm. I knew it. I knew it. They found out I'm a Jew. I knew this was going to happen. Next time I'm getting that off my resume. I'm going to say I went to PS 152. Have a good day. Youngster, before you walk out, I want to tell you something, said the man in the middle. I'm also a Jew. I'm not religious, I'm not orthodox, but I'm a Jew. Do you think I would hire somebody who's not willing to stand up for what he believes? How are you going to be a lawyer in our firm or in any firm if you don't have the backbone to stand up for what you believe? You better go back to your rabbis and they better talk to you because you'll never make a lawyer. Have a good day. He's a lawyer today and he goes around and he tells this story. Stand up for who you are. Don't be ashamed of who you are because the world respects us for who we are. We're running away from Judaism, we want to be an American, an American passport. I want to be a citizen here and a visitor everybody else, everywhere else, but I don't know that I'm a Jew. Hashem says, give me one day. Make me your Avaita Zara. Don't make me God. Make me your Avaita Zara. Make me your cell phone. Yeah. God says, you know what? You don't treat me like God. You don't dab it in shul. Maybe you're not so sneistic. Maybe do a lot of other things. You don't keep Shabbos. You don't eat kosher, maybe. But can I, can I, can you, you have a cell phone? Can I be your cell phone? Does anyone in this room who has a cell phone treat God the way you treat your cell phone? Do you talk to Him as much as you talk in your cell phone? Do you listen to Him as much as you listen to your cell phone? Do you plug Him in next to your bed at night? <laughs> do you make sure that you have enough minutes for him 
Do you make sure that you got yourself an unlimited plan that you could talk all the time? Who has an unlimited plan with Hashem? Who talks to Hashem as many minutes a day as you talk on your cell phone? When was the last time you texted God? What was the last time you wrote a letter to Hashem? Hey, I don't know how to talk to Hashem. I'm good at writing. That's why I text. I don't know how to communicate. So when was the last time you wrote a letter to God? When was the last time you put Him in your diary? On a positive note. Oh, we have a way of putting Him in our diary on a negative note. God forgot me. I hate God. God hates me. Who writes in the diary, God, I love God. God is always watching out for me. God is special. Hashem says, just treat me like your cell phone. Treat me like your movie. You gotta sit there, you gotta watch it, you can't miss it. When do you do that for me? When do you come to shul and you focus on me the way you focus on a good book? When was the last time you cried in shul or you cried on Tishabah when you're reading the kiddos? Like you cry when you read one of those tear jerking books. Or when you go to a movie and you sit there, oh, I gotta go with my friends to this movie. Why? It's a crier. What do you mean it's a crier? Oh, we're going to sit this whole movie and we're just going to cry. Cry about what? Cry about two actors on a screen that aren't real? Cry about fake, about no life? How much time do we waste on movies? They're fake. If they weren't fake, how can you watch a movie with the same actor in ten different movies if he died in nine of them? How many times can one actress get married? She's married to this actor in this movie, this actor in that movie. Well, with actresses, it could happen anyway. It's a world of fake, of bluff. Hashem says, why don't you treat me like you treat your bluff? Why don't you cry like you cry in a movie? Why don't you laugh and walk out of shul the same way you walk out of a good movie? Walk out of that movie with your friends. Wow! That was good. Says Hashem, when was the last time you walked out of shul on Shabbos and turned to your friends and said, wow, that was good? Did you ever walk out of shul on Shabbos and tell your friends, wow, that was good, and I'm not talking about the Kiddush, I'm talking about the davening. Because <laughs> in the Medrash of Eicha says, don't treat me like God. Treat me like all the other stuff that you do. Treat me like school and treat me like your job. Chas shalom that someone should be late to work. But how many times are we late to doing things for HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Treat me like your fun. You'll travel hours and hours and hours to go to great adventure, to go further. You'll get on a plane to go to Florida to lay in the sun. But you won't travel for me. Yeah, we'll go to Israel for 10 days. And uh, we'll go to a lot for two. To Varia for four. We'll do a little bit touring. I asked the girls that go to seminary, and I'll ask all the girls that are in this room. How much time out of a year that you spent in Eretz Yisrael did you spend with God? Did you spend at the one wall that we have left? Shehashchina 
Shruya boy, that forever the Shechina will never leave the Kosel Marovi. I ask girls all the time, they tell me, well, the seminary's not crazy about it. But the seminary went for a week to Tveria and Tvas and Maron and climbed in Gedi and went to the Sedoin. Oh, that we're running to. The Yama Melech. The story in the Torah of the worst place in the world was destroyed by Gofras Melech. Hashem burnt it and destroyed it that nothing can grow there. So where are you going? Oh, seminary, we went three days to Sodom. Abraham Avinu didn't go to Sodom. So said, no, I'm not going. We're going to Sodom. And the castle stands there. Yeah, I went three times. And I didn't feel anything. I felt more, I felt more floating on the Yamamelech. I found God on the Yamamelech. How'd you find God? If you can float on water, there must be a God. Shkoyach. Because Baruch says, where are you? Where are you? Oh, nice. They came to the Kosel. They're getting married. I love that. They take pictures in front of the wall. That's, a, that, that's what it is. It's, it's, it's scenic. It's, it's for tourists. We're tourists. That's what the Kosel Hamaravi is there for. It's there to remind us that we have a Khurban. We stand at a wall that has no windows. Just cracks. You know what Shlomo Melech says about a wall that has no windows and cracks? He says, Hashem watches us through the windows and through the cracks. What's the difference? Before the Beit HaMidrash was destroyed, Hashem watched us through the window. He saw us, and we saw Him. When you watch someone through a crack, you see them, but they can't see you. We have a coastal in Eretz Yisrael that has cracks in it. It has no windows. We know that Hashem is watching us, and we can't see Him. How much time do we spend out of all the time that we spend in Eretz Yisrael having fun? How much time, says Hashem, when am I dessert? When do you come to see me? It's a very sad medrash. It's a very sad medrash. And I think that the one thing we can take is to start thinking about all the stuff we do in our life. And do we do that for Hashem? Is He our cell phone? Do we spend enough time with Him? I'm not even going to get into what the cell phone does. To a person's life. I do that enough. Last night I spoke about the spider. I didn't finish my thought. And why the internet's called a, a web. And why it's called a net. The Dugma Magid talks about a net. You know what a net does? A net works like the fish is in the water and he's swimming really nice. And everything is good. And all of a sudden, the fisherman puts his net out. And the fish is still swimming. And all of a sudden, boom! He's out of the water. He's in this net. Anyone ever went fishing with a net knows this. He's flipping and flapping around. (gasps) He's trying to catch his breath. And within a few seconds, he's dead. You know the internet's called the net? It's exactly what happens to all of us. Yeah, I'm surfing the net. Surfing the net. What's so bad, Rabbi Wallace? I'm not going to any bad sites, even though I challenge anybody in this room or anybody who's listening to this share or anybody who has internet, I challenge you to get up and make a nether in front of me that you have been on the internet. You've never seen anything wrong on the internet. Not a picture of anything wrong. Boys, for sure not. Because you put on the internet, I wanted to see to understand what Facebook was. 
So I asked my secretary to put on Facebook so I could, at least when I speak about it, I know what I'm talking about. And before Facebook even came up, on the left-hand side was some advertisement for a lady losing uh, 80 pounds in three minutes or something, whatever it is, <laughs> right, that all of you fall for this business, and a picture of a woman that wasn't dressed at all. And Rabbi Wallstein, I don't, I'm not even interested in that. I just want to see what Facebook is pop up. Then on the right side, another pop up. And then there's some pornography written on top of over there. And then it's go to this side and go to that side. So you're a fish. You're a good person. You're swimming along. Everything's great. Life is good. I need it for work. So keep it at work. You need it for work, so keep it at work. What are you bringing it home for? And your little daughter and your little son, they're swimming along. They're in yeshiva. Everything's great. Oh, mommy left the internet on. She left it on. Oh, not me. I always turn it off. Yeah, like your kids can't get turn it on. Well, I have a password. Oh, they can't go around your password. The Pentagon hires kids because they can do on computers what we can't. So you put this big fat net in your house. And all of a sudden, before you know it, your child is gasping for air. For spiritual air. That child that was such a neshamala, such a good person, all of a sudden, she's connected on the internet to some pedophile, to some low-life cult, to another Jewish kid, to a chat room. But who can go on the internet and not see something wrong? So all of a sudden, this innocent person is out of the water, gasping for air. And it's too late. They didn't know what hit them. That's why it's called the web. And that's why it's called the net. See, the spider, it's a very scary thing. And it doesn't mean you should stop doing mitzvahs. But it's a very scary thing that Kavayosha says. That the dark side, the satan, has no chiyas, has no life. Hashem gives him no life. God gives the dark side no life. The dark side lives off us. Every neshama, every mitzvah that you do is like pure, pure heroin. Pure, pure gasoline. So, the satan doesn't want the Jew who sins to die. Just the opposite. He stands and prays in front of God, give him more life. The person who's Mechal Shabbos is doing amazing in business. The person who does tshuva and he stops being Mechal Shabbos his business goes bankrupt. So the Kaliyashi says, I don't understand. All Bali Chuva, the minute they become Bali Chuva, life begins to crumble. And they ask, I don't understand. When I was open on Shabbos, I made millions. I figured I closed on Shabbos, Hashem's going to give me double. Now my business just went bankrupt, a guy went bankrupt on me, I'm losing my whole business. What's going on over here? And the answer is, that when a Jew is Michal Shabbos, so who's feeding him the money? The Satan. The Satan wants him to make a lot of money, and then he wants him to go to shul and make a bracha. Because that bracha that he makes, that mitzvah, goes to the dark side. So he doesn't kill you. That's why Russia B'tayvoy. That's why Risham, they live long. You're thinking, like, why didn't Hitler have a heart attack? It would have saved us all. All these bad people, Hashem runs the world, give him a heart attack. And the answer is just the opposite. The Satan is praying that the, the bad person should keep living. So the spider 
which is seven mitzvahs to kill, which ended up making webs in the base Hamigdash, because that's what he does. He creates webs. Somebody sent me a text last night. Rabbi, they had, they thought they were funny. I didn't think it was funny, but they had the web in the base Hamigdash. Now that's not funny. Because I said last night there were no computers in the basement. They had the web. The Taka had the web. And it's written. One of the most heartbreaking things for the Jewish nation was to see spiders crawling in our base on Migdash. So now we all have the web in our, ba- in, in our own base on Migdash. We took the web from that base on Migdash that was burning. And now we brought it to our own base on Migdash. Into our houses. Into ourselves. Now we have a web. And the spider doesn't kill. He lets you do Averis, and then he wants to keep you alive. Go, go to a shir. Go do a mitzvah. Because that's what keeps him alive. You gotta break out of the web. You gotta get away from the spider. And sometimes when you get away from the spider, life's not so good because now he's against you. He's not for you. And now you need the Baruch Hu on the good side and you gotta earn it. It's not a free ride. Drug dealers go to schools and give kids drugs for free. And the kids are so excited. Wow, my brother has to pay all that kind of money for marijuana. And this guy's giving me a whole pack for free. I love him. My best friend. And the drug dealer knows that I have to get him addicted. And once I get him addicted, oh, he's going to pay every single time. And it's going to go from marijuana to heroin. It's going to get more expensive and more expensive. This guy's going to support me forever. So the first part he gets for free. But it's death. When the Sultan takes care of a person who's doing the wrong thing, it's a setup. He's a drug dealer. Sure, in the beginning it's for free. But oh, are you going to pay for it? There was an Aron HaKodesh. And that's our spirituality, our Torah. There was a Shulchan. And that's our Panasa. Girls, it was a menorah. The menorah represents purity. The menorah, the oil that was used in the menorah was the first drop that came out of the olive. They would take a needle, they would stick it into the olive, the Kohen would tap the olive, a drop would come out, and that was all the oil from that olive that was allowed to be used for the menorah. They took the olive, they crushed it, and the rest of the oil was used for minchas, for other things, for the menorah. It had to be kosis lam ar. It had to be perfectly pure and clean and the first drop. So it took a long time to make the oil for the menorah. The menorah represents sniyot. It represents purity. Its light gave the light to the whole world. The windows of the Beis HaMikdash was small on the inside and large on the outside so that the light of the menorah would be filtered through the small opening and give light to the whole world. And the ner hamarabi, the middle ner, was lit forever, like it could never be put out. Says Chazal, that this purity of Kosh Lamar is the tzniyas of a woman. And as long as the women of Klai Yisrael are tznuas, in their dress, in their talk, in their walk, and how they behave, in their kibbutz of the aim, not screaming back at their parents, it's also part of Tzniyas, then they will light up the whole world. And we know that the miracle of Hanukkah wasn't that the Lechem upon became warm, 
The miracle of Hanukkah was the Neirois. The main thing in the Beis Hamigdash was the Menorah. The Menorah of the first Beis Hamigdash was hidden immediately. And it's brought down in Chazal that it's hidden way under the Beis Hamigdash. One time a Kayan sword, he died. He wanted to tell everyone where it was. And it says in Chazal that that Menorah, the Ner Tumen on that Menorah from the first Beis Hamigdash that was hidden because they could never touch it. The Menorah that they have in the Vatican is from the second Beis Hamigdash. That the, that, that Menorah is still burning, says Chazal. Somewhere underneath the ground, there's a Menorah from the first Beis Hamigdash and the Ner Tumid has never gone out. As long as it's Sneas in Klai Yisrael, the Ner Tumid will never go out. But if a person is not a Tznua, if a woman is not a Tznua, then they took the Menorah out of your Beis Hamigdash. And you're missing the light in your base Hamigdash. And if you're missing the light in your base Hamigdash, you can't see anything else in the base Hamigdash. Without the menorah, there is no shulchan. You trip over it. It was dark. There is no mizbeach. The menorah is what lit up the base Hamigdash. Tzniyos is what lights up the Jewish nation. You're the daughters of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's not some old rabbis that got together and said, we don't like the way women dress. Snua, Snias is the Torah, is the learning of a woman. Talmud Torah, Kenegat Kulam. Yes, a woman is supposed to learn. But by a man, Talmud Torah, Kenegat Kulam. By a man, learning Torah is more than all of the other mitzvahs put together. Chazal say, by a woman, Snua, Kenegat Kulam. Her Snuyas is her Talmud Torah. Her Snias is Kenegat, all the other mitzvahs. If she's not at Snua, nothing works. Because the menorah is out. And if the menorah is out, you can't see the shulchan. And you can't see the Arna Kodesh. And you can't see anything. And I'm not here to give you Musr. Who am I to give anyone Musr? But no. No, that it has a lot to do with our Tznias in this generation of where our children are today. A lot. We preach one thing and we do a lot of other things. From all the kids off the derech that I talked to, I asked them, what is the main reason you're off the derech? And the answer is, they're hypocritical. They say one thing, and they do another thing. They tell their daughters to get off the phone, they're on the phone the whole time. They tell the daughters to get dressed sneers, and their own mother is wearing tight clothing. Yeah, goes, goes below the knees. But it's not sneers. And she's like, who's my mother fooling? And once a child sees someone that's hypocritical, everything else then becomes hypocritical. We have to live what we say. You can't tell your kids not to be on the phone when you're on the phone day and night. You can't tell your kids, I don't understand why you don't get along with your sisters and you have no friends and you're fighting with everyone when all she hears all day is you're on the phone talking nasty about everybody. And about your mother-in-law and your sister-in-law and your cousins and this other woman down the block and we're not inviting them because they didn't invite us they only invited us to the chuppah we're not going to even invite them to the chuppah who needs them and then they don't understand why their daughter doesn't seem to get along with people because you don't look at yourself we tell them never to lie don't you ever lie I don't care what you do but tell me where you were don't you ever lie when we ourselves, as adults, lie so much, not even realizing. 
tell the guy at the door, I'm not home, says the father. And then he doesn't understand why his kid grows up and doesn't tell his father the truth. Dad, I can't tell this to you, but every time a collector came to the door, he told me you weren't home. You were sitting in the dining room. I picked up the phone. I said, he's not home. Or mom says, tell her, tell her I went out. Tell your grandmother I went out. But ma, you're right. Tell her I went out. Big deal. And then you tell me you can't lie. I love the one when you go to Eretz Yisrael. Well, actually, when you come back from Eretz Yisrael, you just went on a three-week tour. You got two suitcases full of crazy stuff for everybody. You bought in every souvenir shop. And Israeli security says, you know why I'm asking you these questions, you know? And the guy's, yeah, yeah. He's got his 16 suitcases, his six kids over there. And he's like, so while you're in Israel, did you buy anything for anyone? Nope. <laughs> nope. Because you know if you say yes, they're going to open up all your suitcases and go through everything. Nope. And the kid's like, but ta! Shut up. <laughs> you want to be here all day? We'll be the last one on the plane. You won't have any way to put your hand luggage up. What's wrong with you? Or when you leave America and you're taking a suitcase for this girl's, this woman's seminary daughter and that one's seminary daughter and the suitcase don't even have your name on it. You took a picture of it so you'll recognize it when it comes out. You have no idea what it looks like. And the, and the Israeli security guy asks you, did you pack everything yourself? Yeah. Like us guys pack everything ourselves, right. Your wife didn't pack for you? No, no, I packed it all myself. Really? You know how to fold pajamas like that? Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> Right. Uh, are you taking anything for anybody? You know why I'm asking you. I'm asking you for security for all the other people on the plane. You might be taking something for someone that, that could be a bomb. Oh, no, I'm not taking anything for anybody. Ah, your name's Wallerstein and the suitcase says Friedman. The other suitcase says Schwartz. <laughs> you have no daughters in seminary, but the suitcases are full of girls' clothing. What are you opening a store? What's going on with you, right? And you lie, and your, your kids are standing there, and they're watching you lie. And then you tell them, don't you ever lie to me. You're going up to the mountains, you're doing 85 miles an hour, you want to get there early. Your kids are in the car. You get pulled over by a state trooper. You open the window. The trooper walks up. And you have that, like, who me look? Like, <laughs> like what did I do? And the trooper is, sir! And all the kids are in the car. They, they, they get excited, even though you're getting a ticket, they're just excited about watching the cop, right? He's like, sir! Do you know why I pulled you over? Now, two minutes before you got pulled over, your wife is screaming in the front seat, Yanko, you're doing 90 miles an hour. It's very dangerous for the kids. Slow down! And he's like, no, don't worry. It's, my car can handle it. We all answer the same thing. <laughs> my car can handle it. And I'm a good driver. But Yanko, 90, take it down to 65. When you drive, you do what you want. I'm driving. <laughs> Cop pulls you over. Cop says, sir, do you know why I pulled you over? And you're like, I have no idea. Do you know that I clocked you at 90 miles an hour? What? I wasn't doing a mile over 65. What are you talking about? You have four kindleach in the back seat listening to a father lie over, over, and over. The mother just screamed at him, you're going 90 miles an hour. Those six, seven-year-old kids are not going to say anything to you. But when they're 16, 17, and you tell them, why are you lying? And they have the nerve, they'll tell you, I'm not any different than you, Dad. Remember what you said to that trooper? We got to clean up our own base on Migdash. 
if we clean up our own base on midos for shachati besochem, like I told you last night, then Hakadosh Baruch Hu will dwell amongst us and with us. And if He dwells amongst us, I told you the ten miracles that happened. There's two more Caleb in the base on midos. There was a mizbeach apnimi, a gold swarm mizbeach on the inside that they burnt incense ketayres, and there was a mizbeach achitzon. There was a mizbeach outside where they brought karbonos. Everybody in this room, every Jew, has a Mizbeach HaPnimi and a Mizbeach HaChitza. They were both for sacrifice. One was called Pnimi, which means to sacrifice from within you, spirituality, to sacrifice things, sometimes that would make you happy, but to sacrifice them because now is not a time to be happy. And sometimes to sacrifice material things. The Mizbeach HaPnimi is sometimes sacrificing yourself. You want to go learn. You want to go Shabbos, be by yourself, but someone needs your help. Someone needs your help. I'm sacrificing my Shabbos. I would have a much holier Shabbos. Now I have to have this girl over and be busy with her? And the answer is yes. Mesiras Nefesh means sacrificing your soul. Sometimes you have to give up from your growth, from what you want to do, not to fall, but sometimes it's not all about you. That's the Mizbeach HaKetairas. That's the inside Mizbeach. And sometimes we have to sacrifice the things outside. The things that we own, the material things, we have to sacrifice for being a Jew. There's certain things that we can't do. And that's the full, that's the full base Hamidash. Aminayra, Tzniyus. A shulchan, panasa, or an akodesh, liman ha-toira. Mizbeach your internal sacrifices. Mizbeach ha-chitzon, your external sacrifices. If you're able to get all of them together, this tishabov, you just built your base hamigdash. You just brought your Mashiach. And that's what we all need to do. I didn't finish my story last night. of the grandfather and his grandson. So, this man stuck his two hands into the burning lye acid and pulled out this other man and they brought him back to life. This man who came to the Bar Mitzvah, whoever was here last night understands what I'm saying. This man who came to the Bar Mitzvah got up and he said, I was the boy in that pit of lye. Therefore, you see what I look like? All the hair on my body was burnt off in Auschwitz never to grow again but he turned to the Bar Mitzvah and he said your grandfather those were the two hands that pulled me out of that pit and that's why he has no hair on his hands but let me tell you what those two hands did I got married and I had nine children as I stand here at this Bar Mitzvah your grandfather, those two hands that went into the lie, that got burnt to pull me out of the lie. I have 50 grandchildren, Kenai Nahara. One Jew putting his hands in the lie. Sometimes it hurts. Pulling someone out who's never burning. One Jew. Two, two sets, a set of hands. Two hands. 
can bring back a whole Jewish nation. And that is the Yantiv of Tishabov. And that's why it's called Krue Mayed. Because as sad as it is, and I didn't get a chance to go through the Gemara, unbelievable Gemara, about three boatloads of children that were sent to Rome. Two boatloads of girls and a boatload of boys. 400 in total, says the Gemara. They were sent to Rome to be sold as Zonos. Jewish beautiful children. The girls and the boys. The girls got up. In fact, I really, really, even though it's late, I need to read this Gemara. We need to know, we need to know where we need to be. I need to read you this Gemara. I think it is. Here it is. We'll end with this. Amar Rabbi Yehuda, Mashmuel, whoever wants to look it up, it's the Gemara in Gittin, Tafnun Zayin Amid Beis. Amar Rabbi Yehuda, Mashmuel, Rabbi Yehuda said in the name of Shmuel, Be'iteme Rav Ami, some people say that it was in the name of Rav Ami. For Amar Rabbi Masniti Tana, some people say that it was by a Tana. It doesn't, it matters because the Gemara says it, whoever said it. There was an incident, an incident where 400 boys and girls were captured and taken by ship to Rome to engage in shameful activity. They sensed what they were being sent there for. Amru, they said, If we drown in the ocean, if we drown in the ocean, do you think, since it's suicide, do you think Hashem will let us go into into Olam Haba? The oldest one of the 400 children got up and said, it says in the Pasuk that Hashem will bring us back from Bashan. He will bring us from the depths of the sea. It's in Tehillim. If you want to know where in Tehillim, it's Samach Ches. He said, what does this mean, Mi Bashan Ashiv? Mi Ben Shine From the teeth of a lion, Vuchanetza was called a lion. What does it mean, Ashiv Min Hayam? Hashem will bring us back from the depths of the sea. So he said to all the other children, this is the promise that if we drown ourselves, not to do these Averis, Hashem will bring us back and will give us Elam Hama. This is what this boy got up to say. Ladies, listen to this, Gemara. Kivan Shishamu Yelada Iskach. When the girls on the boat heard this, the girls... Not the boys. Kapsukulan. They all jumped and fell into the sea and drowned. The boys were left on the boats. The girls took the first leap. The boys were now left on the boats alone. All the girls were gone. 
Nasu Yulanim Kalvachoyma Biatzman Riyamru. The boys made a Kalvachomer. And they said the following. It's normal for a woman to be with a man. So even though they're being sold to do Averos, they're not doing something that's not normal. A woman and a man. It's normal. And they're being forced. And they're Avadim. And it's a natural act. They jumped into the water and gave up their lives. We're men, we're boys, we're being sold to other men. And that's not normal. Even in the times of the Romans, that's not normal. The Gemara today, I don't think I could say in America. Because there are a bunch of states that it's already normal. This is the land that we're citizens of, that we're not guests of. A land where in the New York Senate, it's being voted whether boys can marry boys and girls can marry girls. This is what we're proud to hold the passport of. This is where we're citizens, not guests. How lucky are that all the guests that come to this country, that they're not a citizen of this country? Even in the Roman times, the boys said, it's not Dr. Lecoq, this is not normal. And if the girls are willing to jump and give up their lives, Allah has come and become surely we have to jump in. And Yemiyahu cried about this more than anything else. And the boys all jumped into the um And they all died. So what are we doing? What are we doing? We have to jump off the boat before we get involved with anything that isn't pure. Before we get involved with boys. Before married Jewish women are talking to non-Jewish men or even Jewish men that they're not married to at work or at college or socially. These girls jumped into the yam. And when they jumped into the yam, all they were worried about not losing their lives, but maybe it's considered suicide. I won't have Olam Haba. That's what they were worried about. And these were the worst. This was at the time of the destruction of the base of Megdash. We were so far from God. You hear what the girls did? They taught the boys at Kav Chaimer. When a boy wants to touch you, he doesn't want Shaman and Gia, jump into the ocean. Teach him a Kav Chaimer. They jumped into the water. They taught the boys a lesson. Teach the boys a lesson. Don't you dare touch me. Don't you dare text me. I'm a Jewish girl. I'd rather lose my life in this world but have my life in the next world. What is going on? How many of our personal base I mean, just are burning? We need to rebuild. We need to stop this. Look at all the stories that happened here. And there are many, many, many. It's time. We don't want to sit here next year. It's time to build our own personal base on Mingdash. It's time to put our own hands in the pit of lie and pull ourselves out. Hashivenu Hashem Elecha Venashuva Chadesh Yemenu Kikedem Hashem bring us back and if you bring us back, we'll come running back and bring us the day of old.
You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.